I just think it's really important not just to look at projects as a thing, but in and of themselves, but as a sort of a journey and a potential path. And so you got to look at that and go, is this the kind of work I want to be doing? Pick the kind of work and the kind of people you want to be working with and seek those people out and let your marketing and your direction be always steered towards that. Otherwise, you can end up somewhere that you never really wanted to be. And it's so sad. I just feel like it's a waste of a life. And as, as long as we get to pick and choose what life we're going to live, I think it's important to choose wisely. Welcome to episode 119 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And today we have an incredible guest, Jeff Dungan, and he's an architect, author, does amazing projects all around the world. And really, from the very beginning of the podcast, just shared so much insightful information, has so much passion. He gets into the golden section and the rule of thirds, you know, tried and true design and what that means and how important sustainability is as we look at design. And what I really loved about the episode, he, there was a quote by him. He said, that if your clients understand the cost of everything, then they know the value of nothing, right? And, and it was really key for the conversation as he was breaking down how we showcase our value, how we inspire you know, those that we work with and how we build this uh, a company and brand and all these things that he's been able to do. So, so much valuable information. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. And today we have with us Jeff Dungan, who's an architect, author, and girl dad, and he does some amazing architecture. So let's talk about the girl dad. How many girls do you have? So I have three daughters. Um, They're 28, 20, and 18. Um, and um, they're, they're wonderful, and they're all um, – I've, I've ticked off one college education, and I'm halfway through another one and one wedding, so I still got a little, <laughs> still got a little work left to go. So, so in other words, you still have a lot of work, a lot of career left to get through that. <laughs> I still got some tread left on the tires. I hope I got I to gotta make it through this. Well, I, I, I feel that. You know, I'm probably – I'm not at your stage yet, so I have five girls. Jeff, so oh I'm, I'm a little, yeah, I'm a little bit behind you, but um, my oldest is a senior in high school. She's 17, so uh, oh. you know, college is upcoming, weddings. I mean, all that will be upcoming. So uh, I got a long, a, a lot of tread left still. Yeah, no kidding. So your that your oldest is about the same stage in life as my youngest. So yeah, um, I just I just got a little head start on you. Yeah, you see all the gray hair, so you don't have the gray <laughs> hair yet. Well. One thing I'll say is, you know, probably not for this podcast, but I may have to get you on speed dial later for some advice, you know, as we get through this later. So yeah, right. <laughs> like, like I know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> well, well, I know you, you definitely know architecture, that's for sure. And that's really why I brought you on today. I mean, outside of, you know, the uh, Preno vice, but uh, you know, Jeff, you're someone I follow for a while now. You have some amazing designs. You've worked all throughout the country. I mean, everywhere, essentially you're, you know, author of timeless design. And I wanted to pick your brain on that a little bit about you know, what is timeless design? Because that's something we hear thrown around from uh, people in the industry, clients. And so what does that mean to you? And I know you have a book on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, there's, there's some things that uh, I think tend to make uh, houses or buildings, uh, you know, stand what they, what we call the test of time. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to it probably, but um I think some of the key parts are probably um, have to do with materials and um, using, you know, materials that are more tried and true. Um, 
those are those are kind of some basic blocking and tackling things. Um, you know, um, especially in America where you know we've got like a you know a fake version of everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and um, I, I, I think if there's anything we probably shouldn't be faking, it's it might be stone. You know, <laughs> so just sticking with things that are real and and using things that have been around, you know, for centuries is a is a great step in in the right direction. I think um, an, another thing that's that's important is um, just proportions, just good proportions. Um, somebody told me one time that proportions are free. Um, I found out later that they're actually really expensive. <laughs> yes, they are expensive. <laughs> but, 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 but there are a certain amount of proportions that really are free. You know, I mean, if you were going to put a window in there, um, we might as well really study the proportions of that, uh, the panes and the lights and the transoms and, and all of those things. And um, those kind of things are actually sort of universally um, known and you can study things like the golden section and um, you know the rules of, of thirds and things proportioning systems um, that have been around for forever and they're it's it's math I mean it's it's fairly universally agreed upon so um you know I think those kinds of things also tend to think tend to make things that just look good and and if the proportions are good you know, you're, you're more than halfway there. And then if you're using really good materials, then, you know, you can kind of tick that box. And I really try to stay away from a whole lot of conversations, at least as it is regard to, um, in regards to timelessness, um, of style. I, um, you know, I, I, I think there's, some great Tudor buildings and there's some Tudor buildings that don't look so great. And, um, you know, so it's not necessarily that you have to be, um, constrained, or at least I don't feel, um, so constrained by matters of style. Um, I think, I think style is, um, a little bit of a, of a dicey thing to, to try to bring into that, into that conversation, although people frequently do. So it's interesting. We're winding this a little bit. And, you know, I've, you, you made a comment about the golden section and the rule of thirds. And I want to pick your brain about that. What, what is that for those listening that have never heard that term golden section? What is that? So the golden section is, it's just a mathematical, um, you know, combination of, uh, that helps us understand proportions better. It's, it absolutely comes from a natural, um, progression. It has to do with, um, you know, pi, you know, 22 sevenths and things that are infinite. And, um, you can just Google it. I mean, but it, 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 it forms the shape of a, of a Nautilus, uh, shell. And it's exactly, you know, kind of in that, in that kind of pattern. So, um, there's many other things besides a Nautilus shell that, um, but also, um, the golden section, you know, will refer to, but it basically will end up if you really want to kind of cut it down to something that's pretty easy to say um you in you end up with if let's say you're doing a rectangle let's just say you know give an example and say you're you're going to make um a window well the golden section is going to give you whatever the short side of that rectangle is 
it's going to give you a long side that's about 1.618 um, times bigger than the than the small side. So let's say you were um, doing something that was uh, you know 10 inches wide, then you'd be 16 and an eighth or a quarter tall. Okay, and it's it's not you know you can still screw it up, but but. Um, that'll give you a good rectangle that, you know, just about anybody would look at that and say, yeah, that's a, that's an attractive rectangle compared to a rectangle that was a little taller or, um, or a little bit wider. It gets a little squatty. Um, so, you know, these are rules and rules are, you know, fun to, to break, uh, and I break them all the time. But, um, when you, when you get into, um, things like, you know, like see those windows there in my, in my study here. Um, you know, those panes are about seven inches wide and about 11 inches tall. And I just found that to be, you know, a, a good looking proportion that, um, that just seemed to work. And so I started, if you take that, um, that proportioning, that, that diagonal of a seven to 11, and you extrapolate that thing out and it goes to eight inches, then it's like 12 or, you know, you, once you get that line, you've got it, you know, so it doesn't really matter. Well, I don't want a seven inch wide pane. Fine. Make the pane however wide you want to, but then as long as it catches that line that is about 1.618, um, you know, you're going to have a pretty good looking proportion. It's interesting, and, Jeff. So yeah. So, I mean, this is really the mathematical side that really that same, you know, you think of a triangle, a lot of us who are in geometry, right? And, and so as, you know, sine, cosine, tangent and all the fun things we used to do, but the reality yeah. is even proportionally is that, you know, the width and height gets bigger, you know, of that pain, if you will, you're still trying to keep that same proportion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And again, th these are what I call just general rules of thumb. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything that you do has to follow that. But if you'll follow these kind of things and use these kind of things as a general guideline, you know, m more often than not, your stuff's going to look look pretty good to um, just about anybody. And, um, the rule of thirds is another one. I mean, basically if you, if, and I came to architecture through art. So, um, a, a lot of my thinking is still rooted in, um, in art and, um, odd numbers tend to be, um, uh, pleasing to the eye, you know? Um, so if I'm doing, uh, windows, I usually am, if I'm doing them in a group, then I'm generally usually a lot of times going to have three windows, not two, um, in, in that same opening, not to say that we don't do plenty of openings that have two windows and, and it's totally fine. Um, but that's another one. And then, you know, just it, if you're talking about your, now I'm going to kind of shift and cause I, I bend all these things a little bit. So everything I'm saying, like people could pick it apart. Um, it's fine. I'm not trying to be um, perfect in what I'm saying. Uh, but another way that you can understand the, the rule of thirds is um, from a camera perspective. You know, and you, you think about the frame and, and you have um, three thirds vertically and you have three thirds horizontally. And it's just it, we just know that um, if you can understand how to manipulate those thirds and how you frame something. Um, when you're taking a photograph, that that photograph is going to be more pleasing, um, you know, given using that rule of thirds. So um, that's just another proportioning system, another way of dividing things up. Um, and this is all, you know, pretty basic. It's it's mathematically based. So 
um, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to remember and, and fairly easy to understand. Yeah, well, it's interesting, Jeff, because as you break that down, though, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of us, I would say, yeah, the lay person or people that aren't familiar that don't have your technical ability, right, Jeff, is they're looking at a house, maybe they're scrolling through Pinterest or Instagram, and they love it, and they don't know why, right? They don't understand. As you mentioned, there's three windows, or proportionally how that lays out. And for us, you know, you mentioned this early on, too. You said, you know, proportions are not free, right? It's, you know, proportions actually cost a lot. Uh, to, to build. So how do you set that expectation with the client? And the reason I ask is because um, when I meet with clients, especially at that um, discovery point, right in the beginning of the process, is we're sitting down and they're showing me images in their house and I'm trying to walk them through why mm. that house <clears throat> is more expensive than this other one, right? And part of that is, you know, in Arizona at least, you know, we have HOAs we build in and some HOAs are really strict as far as that proportion, right? You can't have uh, mm-hmm. a linear length of a certain amount of just flat wall, right? You have to have it tiered and staggered and there has to be window depths, right? That maybe six inch depth on the windowsill. And there's so these proportions and thirds, as you mentioned, that golden section are really key because that's what's really dressing up the curb appeal of the house. And so the customer doesn't realize that that does add cost, right? It adds cost to exterior finishes or the window package or the framing budget, right? The lumber you know, having a two by eight exterior wall as opposed to maybe something else because of what the HOA is dictating. So how do you communicate that with the clients and expectations so they understand when they come in, Jeff, we want what we want, but we have to take your expertise too to walk us through this. Well, I mean, I, I basically tell everybody the same thing. I, I got way more cool ideas than you got money. So <laughs> let's just get that out there on the table. Um, and then, and then I follow that up with, if I ever save you any money, I didn't mean to. So <laughs> I, I like to just set the expectation there. And, and, you know, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you a place that's going to, in as much as an architecture can do, as much as to my ability I can, I want to make a place that's going to basically change your life. And to me, you can't put a price on that. So, um, that's let's just talk about things that are infinite and things that are, you know, way more meaningful than what something costs. Yeah, there's a cost to it. And, and I understand, you know, there's a budget and we have to have uh, all kidding aside. We do have to have a relationship to um, how much somebody is is wanting to invest um, in a particular project. I call that their threshold of pain. And so what I want to try to under- understand is where's your threshold of pain? And I want to get right up close to it, but not too far beyond it. Um, and, and that's just being a good steward with other people's money. And, and we do, all kidding aside, um, really take that very seriously. Um, but I think at this point, I'm, you know, I'll just be honest. I've been really fortunate and we get to do a lot of cool projects all over the world. And I think the expectation is you call it is already kind of been set and so i don't i don't work anymore very very often or get into situations where um the level of quality that that i'm trying to create for them is far beyond the level of quality that they expect and that they want and they understand that there's a that there's a cost to it that's going to be um maybe higher than the average home. 
Well, I have to say, I mean, Jeff, you caught me off guard because of all my years of doing this podcast and then speaking to others, when you made the comment early on about if I saved you money, I didn't mean to. I mean, <laughs> I did laugh pretty hard because that's something that I wasn't expecting. And so how, how do customers take that when you say that? I mean, they know I'm, they know that I'm, I'm kidding, but the, you know, the humor makes the medicine go down a little bit better, right? Like, um, you know, like I said, there, there is a budget, you know, there is, there is kind of a number, there is a threshold of pain, but, um, at the same time, I, I'm, I'm not going to start out, you know, I'm not weighing every decision that I'm making for them based on how much it costs. And, um, you know, I guess that, that it is what it is, but I just think there's something way more important that hangs in the balance. And, and that thing that hangs in the balance is their experience and in living inside this, you know, um, home, this structure that we're creating for them um, and how they experience life so differently because of the way the light comes into it because of the way it flows in a way that's in tune with their life so this is like the difference in um you know i never will forget the first jacket i ever had made for me and when they got the jacket and i put it on it just went flop and it just it fit it fit every little contour you know um on my torso and and i've never experienced that and once you experience that it's like you know it's it's just very difficult to ever want to go back to to something that's less fitting to to your particular life now i'm talking about the house not not a jacket but yeah but, but, it's, but it's a great analogy i mean to that point jeff as you talk about hey getting fitted for you know your first blazer your first jacket and you know how that changed and that's perspective for your client too that you've worked hard and you know, you're well-versed, you're knowledgeable, you're creative. I mean, it shows in your work and everything you've done in your career. And so people come to you for that value. And, you know, home today means so much different than it did in years past. And people, as you mentioned, you know, they, you're directing them to be inspired, to be motivated when they see their home, to be, feel at peace, feel happy. I mean, these, you know, it's a short life. And so for those that have worked hard Amen. and understand your value and can achieve that, I mean, it's a great thing. Amen. Right. I mean, I, my goal is to transform your life. Like, I want your life to be different than it was before you lived inside that thing that, that we designed and because of the way we were able to bring the light in and we were able to create the views and we we're able to make the flow by listening to how you want to live. Um, if you entertain a lot or if you never entertain, if you love to cook or you never cook, um, all of those things. If you're a more formal person, if you're um, a more, uh, you know, um, loquacious type, you know, all those things. Um, we're, we're weighing all those things and we're putting all those things so that this thing fits you in this way that, that it couldn't fit anybody else that way. Other people may like it and, and they, hopefully they, they would, but it's not about anybody else. It's about you. Um, and I think, I think when you think of things in those terms, it's like, what's that worth? You know, so it, it sort of changes. I want to have a conversation not about the cost of the thing, but the value of it. And, um, you know, there's an old saying that I love that um, there's there's people that know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Um, those people are not my clients. And I, I understand, you know, it takes all different kinds to make a world. But um, if if that's, you know, 
where you are that, you know, we're probably not going to work real good together. Well, I, I, I think unbeknownst to you, Jeff, you know, as, as we've been speaking, I mean, you've already inspired me where I'm like, Hey, if I'm designing a house, I need to call Jeff, right? Because just this, this overall passion you have for the industry, for architecture, for design, you know, and, and, and as you break that out and communicate that, you know, to just me, who's interviewing you, you know, I sit there and think about the, yes, the right customer that understands. And, you know, a lot of people listen to the podcast. I mean, they're entrepreneurs, they're in design, they're in architecture, they're in construction. And, and one of the tough things, you know, feedback wise that a lot of them give is, Hey, how do you, how do you present your value? Right. It's really hard to do that. How do you showcase your worth? How do you uh, deliver mm-hmm. that to the client? And really for anyone that wants to know that, just listen to the first 20 minutes here of you speaking, because you've done this in a way where people say, if I want to be inspired, if I want my life to change, and it's, as you mentioned, if you know the cost of everything, you have the value of nothing, right? You don't understand the value. And that's what you're delivering. And that's why people need to be listening. And this is how you present that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it really is. Um, it makes life so much better, um, so much more meaningful. Um, and I just, you know, even some of the things that you touched on earlier, um, about how do you show your worth or how do you, you know, show your, your value in life? Of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a little bit of a different point in my career. I'm not, I'm not at the beginning. I hope I'm not at the, at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) either, but that's not up to me. Right. Um, so, but I I am at a point where, um, you know, I've I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been able to demonstrate, um, through experience and, and over time um, with me and my staff an ability to, to do things um, at, a, at a certain level and um, that for a lot of people is meaningful. Um, and those people we call clients. And, um, and I'm, I'm always looking for more of what I call my people. And, um, you know, when you get on the phone with them for in five or ten minutes, you're like, yeah, the, the, these are my people. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, we're – we value similar things, right? And so there's um, there's not a disconnect between what's important to these people and what's important to me and my staff and and how we go about it. And um and uh, you know the rest is just um, a whole lot of details. Yeah, and and really that gets into the ideal client. Like it's easier for you to vet them because your visions align and the value there. And, and what's interesting, you know, early on in the conversation, Jeff, you, you were, when I asked you about timeless design, you made a couple of comments and I don't want this conversation to go down the pros and cons of capitalism, right? Like in America, but you see in other parts of the country where, you know, really thoughtful execution as far as product, right? Tried and true materials, which is the comment you mentioned, you know, you look at in America, how at times we can be very wasteful and we're not thinking about, you know, we're, we're heavy consumers. I mean, that's just reality of, of. Um, our culture here in America. And so, you know, for you and I that are working with clients to help them envision, right, as we educate and talk about and have these discussions about whether it's sustainability or net zero or energy efficiency or real stone, as you mentioned, not faux stone, something that's going to last. And and really, by someone such as yourself, Jeff, that's going to design a beautiful house that has natural finishes, that's well thought out, you know, it's lit well, it has character, Mm. right? This isn't something that's, Hey, in 20 years, we're going to scrape and then just build something new because it wasn't executed properly. Exactly. Right. So another one of those kind of points of, uh, you know, knowing when it's the right, the right fit is, um, when they say, and almost ubiquitously they do, you know, this is the last house I'm going to build or 
this is my forever house or um, I may build another house, but but this is going to be, you know, I'm, I'm never selling this house. I'm not trying to flip this house. This is um, this will be my kids will live in this house or my kids will if it's a beach house or whatever. My kids will still vacation here and those kind of things. And and I, and I, I think that is the kind of mental framework that you have to have um, for you to go on this type of a journey. Right. And, and it's not for everybody. It's and I want to say that, too. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that everybody that doesn't think this way is wrong. Um, this is just the way um, I believe um, this is my sort of spiritual journey into architecture and design and, and life, actually, and, and how how we live it and how we how we go about it. Um, but I, I, I understand and appreciate and respect that everybody doesn't have that same opinion. Yeah, but it's a great question. I mean, as you're thinking about that vetting, going back to the ideal client, right? You're asking, I mean, just understanding this is their forever home or this is the forever vacation home and how that transpires through mm-hmm. generations. You know, with with all that you've done in your experience, Jeff, I mean, where do you see the future of home? How have you seen that change with COVID through the pandemic? You know, that what people are asking for. Have, what, do you, what do you see happening now currently with your designs and moving forward? It's a great question, um, and I, I think that the answer is um, going to be long in, in coming, um, and we need to get more distance um, between ourselves and, and these events to truly probably fully comprehend what it really is doing to us and has done to our psyches, um, but having with that caveat in place, I would say it's in in some ways it's been not entirely a bad thing because of how people now value um, their home life and their experience um, at being home or, or being in their in their structure in their abode wherever wherever it is um, because they have were locked up inside it for you know low these many months and and they realized that there was so many things i think about their homes that didn't really fit their life um you know and and it made it's made i think a lot of people really re-examine you know what that what home means to them and how their house needs to um relate to their lifestyle and um uh in in a lot of ways that that it just didn't um i mean just one really simple uh, uh example of of this i think there's there's a bunch that i'll 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 throw a few out but this one's just really easy all of a sudden everybody wanted a pool <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> like who's busier in the construction industry right now than the pool guys oh it's like, so true it's exploded and like i mean i was talking to a pool guy and i think i swear i think the cost of pools is like tripled um (laughs) and it's just it's not that they're necessarily taking advantage um it's just a supply and demand thing and it's it's crazy but you know all of a sudden people are like golly if i'm going to spend this much time at home honey we need that pool you know we always talked about doing a pool i mean because that's just easy you dig a hole in the backyard you know and you you build a pool that's fine um that's kind of low-hanging fruit but um (laughs) 
I think um, another one, you know, more, a little bit more um, into design and, and our work is um, just almost nobody uh, these days doesn't ask for a home office. Um, and in the home office, though, at the same time is, is morphed and it's not necessarily um, uh, this big panel, you know, pecan wood um yeah you know library uh, fancy thing it's not that um and you would think kind of like maybe it would become that but it's it's not they're like i just need a spot i just want a, a little spot with a with a desk and um and some people want it close to their bedroom some people want it absolutely on the other side of the house from their bedroom because they want to separate the the work life from trying to rest and and that kind of thing um but everybody, and, and they both want one, the, the man and the woman um, want one, um, and they're usually kind of in different places, but um, it, nobody isn't asking for that now. And I think that's probably the easiest, most you know, simple, direct correlation um, of, of kind of an example that you could give along with the swimming pools. But um, I think, again, you know, the overarching uh, thing that's, that's that's really happened is everybody is way more aware of uh and sometimes painfully so of how their house doesn't really work for them um and i think that's um also caused a uh been a, at the foot of the reason of why our industry is experiencing such of you know you know surgence of of work and uh, projects and opportunities. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because in my experience, everything you said is spot on. I mean, I look here in the Phoenix market and, you know, being in a warm weather climate, you know, of course it's going to attract a lot of people, you know, it's a lot of outdoors, you know, golf, things of that nature where, you know, in COVID and lockdown, you know, it gives people a little bit more freedom. But what's interesting is part of the boom here, as you mentioned, when, when clients reach out, you know, it's very common. I need an office. My spouse needs an office. My kids need an office for homeschool, right? So now it's like, for, for a long time, we got away from offices. We got away from theaters or like these extravagant yeah. backyards. And now it's like, no, we have to if we're locked down. And now it's like, we need a cold plunge. We need a sauna. And it's, and it's not just this luxury living, but as you mentioned, hey, I could have a simple office, but I need at least something on my back wall for Zoom calls, right? When I'm on Zoom meetings yeah. all the time. But, yeah. but, but what's interesting is, you know, the clients are just, they're finding a different uh, value in home, right? A different, um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's more romantic in this sense that a lot of them, hey, they slept here and then they went and traveled, you know, but now they're not traveling. This is their home base and this is their sanctuary and they want it to be yeah. nice. And, and I've seen that with the younger generation. A lot of clients we have too are younger. And um, even as I network, you know, they there's a lot of peers of mine that their kids were, you know, living in an apartment or you know, some condensed living. And then through the pandemic, as they're locked in and they have a pet, they're like, we don't have space. You know, Before the pandemic, they're like, we don't want to go down this traditional road of a mortgage and have a house. But now actually we want the house. We want the backyard. We want the pool. And so we're, I mean, that's what's really changing and creating a lot of the, um, you know, the bottleneck that we have now, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. And, um, you know, we're doing a lot of second homes and um, a lot of, People, I think a lot of people want a place to retreat to or a place to get away um, to. Um, so like, you know, if and when, excuse me, these kind of things happen again, they want a place to 
where they can go and, and have more wide open spaces, you know, or go to the lake or go to the mountains or, you know, go to the beach where whatever, you know, whatever their flavor is. Um, but they, they want that secondary getaway, um, that space. And then they also want for their home home to really tick all the boxes and really meet all their needs. So I, I think they, you know, and be more self-sufficient. It's almost like its own little, um, resort, if you will, um, maybe in, in some ways. Um, I've definitely uh, seen that, and you touched on that as well. Now, we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So what's interesting, Jeff, I mean, I look at, for someone that's an architect and creator, and you mentioned that you had a background in art, right, which has impacted just your your design and your drive. And I think what's interesting about you is you know, growing up on a farm. So it's not like you grew up in uh, this metropolis city, right? With all this amazing architecture. So you're growing up on a farm, but that does impact your work ethic because reality is, you know, people that look from afar think, oh, Jeff's a successful architect and it just appeared, right? And they don't realize the hours and labor. So how do you feel that, you know, growing up on a farm impacted maybe your desire to be creative as well as maybe that work ethic that's really helped you build, you know, the reputation you have now? That's a that's a great point. Um, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question exactly in that way. And you touched you touched on a lot of different aspects of it. Um, I mean, the farm I grew up on um, was you know small by you know farm standards is like a hundred acres, um, but it was a it was a real working farm. I mean, we these weren't gentlemen farmers or people that you know um, like to do equestrian things and stuff like that. And not that there's anything wrong with those things, but I mean, th- this farm was basically my grandfather's, and um, who was a coal miner, and um, and I mean, it's it was literally you know how how we lived, um, you know we grew a lot of the stuff that we ate, and um, and uh, we had cows and horses and and all those things and chickens and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was also you know pretty rural, and so. Um, I mean, we were we were out in the what what at that time was really out in the woods, um, literally and figuratively. Um, and I found that, or I believe that, um, just being sort of what I call steeped in in nature 
had really a profound effect on me because even though, um, especially remember when I was a young child before I really had a lot of responsibilities on the farm, you know, I just would go out in the woods with my dog and I'd, I'd go out in the woods all day. Um, and it just, you know, the, the trees, you know, um, got in my, in my head and the proportions of those things. And you, I mean, this may sound weird, but I mean, you can just sit there and if, if you'll just get still and, and look up into the trees in the woods, it's, it's just beautiful. And it's magical the way that, especially in the wintertime, you know, how all the branches kind of go together and I would go hunting and fishing. And so sometimes I was, you know, spending time in the woods that way. Um, but I can't explain all that, but, um, I think somehow there's, there's some kind of proportioning system in, in all of that, that, that got, that got inside me. Um, well, if and, I interrupt you real quick, Jeff, cause you're saying something that, you know, it made me think of a seminar I'd sat in. What's interesting is you had talked about just nature and this, you know, the natural creation that's out there as well as, uh, the proportions. And you think about just the human body, right? Here's a machine that can operate essentially maybe a hundred years, right? With minimal tune-ups. If you know, it's, it's properly managed. And you think about like us that create things like, how can you have something that can sell sufficiently and run for a hundred years? You know, the pumps and the systems like without maintenance, like it's, it's, it's amazing what nature does. And, and for you to have that hundred acres where now you're exploring with your dog and it really using that to take in. And I'm, I, I can imagine how that's inspired you today. Yeah, it, it is. And of course, all you got to do is just go uh, Google John Muir and just read John, John Muir. Trail. Yeah. And, and what does he say? You know, he says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, get out into nature and it will, it will cleanse your soul. Um, and I, I find that that's still the case today that, um, you know, there's nothing against cities. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite places in the world is New York city. Um, which is sort of ironic, I guess, for a country boy, but, <laughs> um, but I, I just love it. There's such an energy there and everything. But, um, I, I used to think maybe I'd like to live there cause it's, it's so fun and I, and I love to go. And I had an opportunity years ago to spend a few weeks there and I realized there's no way in hell I could ever live in New York City. <laughs> um, it just, it's just, it sort of sucks your soul, soul out. But I think that's also why, um, the park is so important to New York. Um, and, you know, everybody kind of goes there. It's their little break from, you know, um, from the beast of the city. And then where do they go on the weekends? They're not in the city. They're all out, you know, on the island or, you know, at the beach or in the mountains or, or wherever they, so, so I think that just proves the point that there's something about nature that refurbishes our spirits and, um, and is very, is, um, I think to many people besides me, um, very inspiring um, for whatever you do. But especially, I think if you're an artist, um, you need the inspiration. Um, I've I've sort of developed a theory um, in the last few years that in, inspiration is the fuel for the creative spirit. That in order to really be creative at the highest levels of our capabilities. We have to also be inspired. And so where do we get that inspiration from? There's many sources, um, but I think nature is um, supreme. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I wrote this down because you said inspiration is the fuel for a creative spirit. Well, <clears throat> going back to you know, how we led this off is what's interesting to me and not just the work ethic side, Jeff, but you know, a lot of architects, right? And I'm sure at this point in your career, you've been able to do that. As you mentioned, travel and be in New York. 
but a lot of inspiration comes from traveling, right? Uh, especially 100%. if you're in the design. Yeah, I mean, being in Europe, being in Asia, you know, uh, parts where they have sustainable homes that have been there for hundreds and thousands of years and how that's impacted what you're designing yeah. today. And growing up on a farm, I don't know many farmers that travel the world on a regular basis, right? Because they're hardworking and you have to be there. It's self-sustainable, right. as you mentioned. I mean, it's a lot of hard work. You know, so when did that, when did that point take place where you were able to travel where that inspiration came and what kind of drove you down this path into, I want to be an architect and get into the art side of it? Man, you ask really good questions. Well, um, and, and, and you're, and you're not, you're not letting me get away with the, um, <laughs> the, the sort of brushing aside the work part of the farm. So I'll, I'll address that one first. Um, so, um, there's, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm Southern, so I can make a short story long and I can make a long story really long. Um, so I'll, I'll try to edit this, but, um, there was, there was this moment where, where I, I think I was in the fifth grade. So however old you are then, like maybe 11 or 12 years old, um, I got out for the summer and I was ready to go hunting and fishing and play with my friends and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And, and my dad said, son, um, while you're out, um, for the summer, I, I want you to bush hog the whole, the whole place. And, um, what does that mean? So a bush hog is basically that big mower that's on the back of a tractor okay. that you hook up to, to John Deere in this case. Um, and he said, I want you to, um, to bush hog, you know, the, the whole place. And which was really exciting for me because I was 11 or 12 years old and I get to get on this top of this big gigantic, you know, tractor and, and drive it. And I knew how to drive the tractor. I'd, I'd driven it some, but, but not, not that much. So anyway, so, so I get on the tractor and, and I, you know, you'd start, we had different words for, um, all the different sections of, of the property. And it was all, you know, different fences and, and things. And the cows would be in one pasture or another, and we'd move them around. And so I started in, in this one pasture and, you know, days go by, days turn into weeks. I'm, I'm in different pastures. I'm, I'm going all over the place. And, um, we had quite a bit of to topography on our farm. We had an area we called the bottom and then we had a, a, the hill up on top and there's a lot of other different pastures. Well, I ended up, I started in the bottom and I ended up on the hill when I finished up. So, but by now, like it'd been like six weeks. Okay. And I'm up at the top of the hill and I'm looking out, I can see the barn way down in the, in, in the meadow and everything. And I just kind of sat there and, and took in my accomplishments. Um, I was so proud of myself and, um, now I'm going to go play and, and now I've got the rest of the summer just to enjoy myself. And, and I put the John Deere in gear and I, I start going back down and I'm just, I'm cruising across stuff that I just cut, or maybe I cut a few days and uh, before a week before, and it's like tender and the little cows are out there munching on the tender stuff. And, and then I get down to the bottom and I go across the pond and I'm getting back. I'm getting close to the, put the tractor up in the barn and, and the grass is getting taller and taller. And by the time I almost get back to the barn, the grass, the fescue is like, I don't know, it's 18, it's 24 inches tall. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, like this stuff needs to get cut again. And it was at that moment that I became an incredible student um, because I was going to figure out how the hell I was going to get off that farm. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the farm actually became my great, as well as my great inspiration, my great motivator to find another career that did not involve 
you know, being on the back of a John Deere in 104 degree weather with bugs and just all kinds of things just raining down on you from, you know, because you're basically cutting their ecosystem down and, you know, there's, there's, you know, crickets and things that are like this long and yeah. It, it was, it's a funny story because we can relate, right? <clears throat> I mean, just the toil of, of, of working in the farm and, you know, you know, pulling weeds and then all of a sudden they're back again, you know, for you, it's, you know, mowing everything down and the fescue's back. It's and cyclical, it just, right? It it's just it's like nature. It's cyclical and it, and it never ends. And so, um, and I, I tell that story sometimes, um, when, when I'm given a speech or something and the, inevitably the technology goes blank for 10 minutes or whatever, I always, I always tell that story. Yeah, it's um, a great story. So, so what then transpired? I mean, now here you are, you're like, you know, working in the farm, realize I need an exit strategy. You know, this is not, <clears throat> you know, although I can appreciate it, it's not something I want to do. So what takes that trans, you know, that, that, what, what makes that change where you, now, you know what you love and this is your passion. So, um, so yeah, the part about art and everything. So, um, I love to draw when I was a, a kid and, um, and, you know, even up through, through high school, we would, you know, we were just drawing different kind of cartoons and things. But um, I just love to draw. And um, my mom noticed um, that, at least in her opinion, I, I was, I had some artistic ability, um, which is sort of also a miracle. I don't, I don't have any idea, like, how she would know or, or, you know, there was so many other things to be concerned about. But um, but she sort of seized seized upon it and um actually uh, just determined in her mind she was going to get me into some art classes and i'm like i'm a kid and um she finds this artist um who actually was quite a watercolorist and um you know once a week i guess he would do a class maybe twice a month and um his name was i don't his name was wayne spradley and um i have to google him um i'm sure he's passed by now but he was actually really a fabulous watercolorist and he would teach a class with, um, you know, all these little old wealthy ladies would come and, and, you know, do watercolors. And so she got me in that class. And so here I am, you know, with all these little old ladies, you know, <laughs> on a Thursday, a couple of times a month, you know, being taught by a really great watercolorist, how to, how to do watercolor. Well, I just fell in love with that. Um, and so I would draw on the watercolor paper and then, and then I would get the watercolors and, 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 and paint. And, um, I actually got to be pretty good. I mean, I, 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 I look at the stuff I did cause my mom of course still has these things all framed of course. Um, and I couldn't paint like that today to save my life. But I mean, I got real into like doing, I would do like Audubon, you know, paintings like birds and stuff. Um, and anyway and so then i got to high school and i started I, I continued in that and um and then um so i was getting ready to um graduate uh high school i guess it was my 11th grade year and my um my um what do you call it your counselor my counselor yeah yeah and i mean i went to <clears throat> guidance counselor school. yeah guidance counselor i think there was like 55 people maybe in my graduating class something like that um she said um you know well, Jeff, you're, you're getting ready for your last year. What are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, you know, I want to play professional football, but I don't think it's going to work out for me. Um, she didn't even laugh. She didn't even get the joke. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, well, you know, you're, you're really good at math. Um, 
and and you love to to draw and and you're really good at art have you ever thought about being an architect and i said an architect i said is that that person you go to when your back is out and <laughs> she didn't get that joke either um she said well you know you've got to do a paper for your english class on what you're going to do with your life so it's good as anything and um since you're in your study hall right now why don't you just check out some books on architecture and so i went and got in the dewey decimal system and i um for those of you who remember the Dewey yep. decimal oh yeah system. oh yeah um and i found these books on like philip johnson and glass houses and frank lloyd wright and i was like what in the world is this crazy stuff <laughs> and um and i checked out four or five books and and i walked out into the hallway and i realized that the that the school that I'd been in at that point for three or four years was round and I'd never thought about it. And the hallways were round and each little classroom was just a, a pie segment of the circle. And I thought, wow, this is, this is sort of interesting. And so um, that sort of pointed me in the direction that I'm still pursuing today. That's amazing. I, I actually love that story. You know, I didn't anticipate hearing, you know, something to that magnitude. I mean, you had a guidance counselor that actually could see that, could see your test scores. And then here you are, you fall in love with it. And, and just, you know, your, your mom with the watercolors and, you mm -hmm. know, getting involved in that. And not that this is confession day, but it's funny. I look back and I wish this had more of an impact on my career, but it did make me appreciate culture in this sense. My, uh, I, I was the oldest grandchild. And uh, my grandmother was really into like folk dancing. Like she's German, German folk dancing. <laughs> this wow. is a little embarrassing. Most people don't know this. A couple of my employees do, and they give me a hard time. So when I was you younger, you know, this part out of the of the whole conversation. Yeah. So here, I guess we are confessing on the podcast today. But when I was like seven, eight, nine, actually until I was like twelve. I mean, to be honest here, she would take me like once a week, and I would go dress in like lederhosen and go dance. We do these Russian dances, wow. Russian gear, and then we go perform Oktoberfest. And I hated it. Like I honestly hated it to this day but it was sweet of her to take me and honestly I, I had a lot of appreciation for other cultures and I lived foreign you know I lived abroad in Argentina for a couple of years after high school and so um, I feel I had a good impact that way I mean it didn't impact my career as a contractor of course but right. uh, but for you I mean just those experiences right life experiences like for you Jeff as you go through this and then going yeah. to college and, and you know what was that transition like I mean did you end up working for a big architecture firm did you start your own firm right away I mean how's um, the business did, side been? Um, so let me see. That was quite a few years ago. So um, I, I went to um, the Alabama Polytechnic Institute, um, which we would know as Auburn University oh, wow. today. And, um, and, and I like to say that but, um, because it was actually called Auburn then, but um, <laughs> I think they changed the name in like 56 and I'm not quite that old. Um, <laughs> but um, there was a ton of really amazing um, people there um, that I was very fortunate to be uh, around and um, and be be with and uh, and learn from and be inspired by. Um, some that you would that you would know would be a Ray Booth, who's an interior um, designer and, and architect, and and he works with uh, McAlpin and uh, Bobby was one of our professors there at Auburn. Um, and he, at that time, was practicing in Montgomery, which was maybe a 45-minute drive from, from Auburn. And so he would come do some studios there. And, um, and there was just a ton of, of really talented people there. Greg Tankersley, 
was there who's um who's in New York now. Um and um golly, I, I'll remember I'll remember some more names, but um but they were uh, all amazing and um had just had some great professors that um Bill Gwynn was one of my professors that just was a real mentor to me and, and really taught me how to think, I think, uh a lot in in some very different ways. And his wife Mary um was transformative and she was a English professor and um and I was I was forced by her husband to take her English class and I hated I hated uh English and hated writing and um and and I really fell in love with it because of her. Um, and I still love to write to this day, but for, if it weren't for them, I, I don't believe that that would have probably happened. So um, that was a, a fantastic experience. It was in the mid eighties and, um, and that was transformative. And then I came back to Birmingham at the, at the end of the eighties, the economy was not in great shape at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very difficult to find a job. And, um, um, but there, there was some work out there, but not a ton. And, uh, I had worked for a very, very small firm, um, here in Birmingham. And so I just came back and, uh, went to work for them. I actually still had some of my, um, some classes, just some free elective classes that I needed to take. So it worked out great. I worked during the day and then I took, you know, metaphysical psychology and sculpture at night. So it was a good transition for me not to just go straight from, you know, the ethereal kind of experiences of college into what the quote unquote real world, I got to sort of have this transition where I still had a foot in both. And I met a man um, who had graduated from Cornell, um, who was teaching art and sculpture there. And I really hit it off with him and came to find out his, his degree was actually in architecture, hmm. but um, he was an artist and um, he became an incredible mentor for me. And um, for the next two years, he he would make a class um, and tell me the number of the class, and I would apply to it. And there was only one student in the class, and it was me. And he and I, and he and I would just I would get credit for it. But um, you know, we'd build tables, and I'd design things, and he'd give me a grade, and um, it was it was pretty cool. That's amazing. And then, so I worked, um, I worked there for a couple of years and then I worked for a really big, uh, for, at least for here, a good size firm. There's about 30 people there. Again, great people. So many uh, of those people have gone on to form firms here in, in Birmingham and, um, and very talented, um, designers and, um, and architects. And, um, I worked there for about seven years and then, so I'd been out of school then for about 10 years. I had my license. And so then. Um, we, uh, me and a, a friend left and started, started our own practice, um, which we were crazy to do. There weren't a whole lot of, you know, 34 year old people that were starting their own firms. But I sometimes wonder if our ambitions weren't greatly exceeding our abilities, but, um, but we, we did, we did it and, um, and it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, looking back now, especially starting in a recession, you know, in a downturn is always difficult. You know, there's a lot to be learned though, and it gives you some opportunity as well. Looking back, if you were to start your company today with the wealth of knowledge and experience, I mean, what 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 would you have done different, or what would you recommend to maybe a young architect that that is starting their own company? I think um, that's a fabulous question. You've done this before, I can tell. <laughs> so, 
Um, I, I read back before Frank Gehry was really Frank Gehry that, that has become, you know, the international arca rock star that, that he's become. Um, but when he, when he was working with chain link fencing and, and doing some of that fun, funky stuff in Santa Monica, um, I just fell in love with, with what he was trying to do, which I know sounds probably strange if you look at my work, but I'm kind of a closet modernist. And he, he was very ins- inspirational to me. And um, they did a little, um, I forget the publication, it might have been one of those little fighting things, but it was a little manuscript, a little thin, skinny book, and it was just a long interview with Frank Gehry. And he said something like, you'll be more known in 25 years from now for what you said no to than what you said yes to. And I thought, what in the hell does that mean? <laughs> that just didn't make a lick of sense to me. But it always stood out. Um, and I'm not sure, like probably a lot of things that Frank Gehry might say, exactly what he means. But I think what, what I've come to believe that that means is if you don't say no to the wrong things, you can't say yes to the right things. And I think that has been a very important guiding principle in what I've tried to do um, in my career is as soon as you can afford to say no, say no to the things that you know, either it's the wrong person or it's the wrong type of project or it's it's not... You know, especially in the beginning, every project you do is potentially taking you down a path. And so when you say yes to that, you're saying yes to not just that that might pay your bills or keep your lights on, but that which, you know, people are going to say, oh, he did that or he was involved with with that client or or with that project. Or, um, And and I, I just think it's really important not just to look at, um, at projects as um, as a thing, um, but, uh, in and of themselves, but as a sort of a journey and a potential path. And so you got to look at that and go, is this the kind of work I want to be doing now? If you're starving to death, you know, there's your answer. But as soon as you're not starving to death, you know, pick the kind of work and the kind of people you want to be working with and seek those people out and let your marketing and your direction be always steered towards that. Otherwise, you know, you can end up somewhere that you never really wanted to be. And it's so sad to me to, to see that. And, um, you do see it from, from time to time. And, um, you know, I just feel like it's a, it's a waste of a life. And as, as long as we get to pick and choose what life we're going to live, um, which at least so far in this country, we still can, I think it's important to choose wisely. Yeah, that's extremely sound advice. I mean, I'll say, Jeff, you know, just thinking of that, and that's not so much theoretical, but I mean, as you think about that application, you know, not just the happiness side, not just where you want to kind of drive your career and where you want to be, but as you think about marketing strategies too as a company, right? If you're marketing yourself, for me, an example, like if I want to build custom homes and I'm marketing a remodel or a kitchen, like that's what I'm going to be known for. And so, you have to be able to be uh, pursue projects. This is where the, the avenue you want to go down. And, and the reality is, is design, architecture, construction. I mean, these, 
th- there's some glamorous sides of it, you know, that we post on social media, but the reality is that final picture that you showcase, Jeff, the the pain, the years, the turn, I mean, just the, the struggle, so it is, it is such a tough industry. I, for me as a builder, it's tough and to execute and, and get the labor and, you know, get the material, especially now. And, you know, there's so many challenges that you and I deal with on a daily basis that the normal person doesn't see. And that's why, yeah, even more so that passion and what you want to go after, you have to, because it's a, it's a tough road. It really is. I, I always, um, not always, but you've reminded me of, of a feeling I get a lot. Um, the stuff that, you know, we post on the Instagram and it's like, holy shit. Like it's so deceptive and, and not, not intentionally so, but there's so many people that were involved in making that picture uh, happen. And, and I guess if anything ever bothers me, it's that, you know, I kind of feel like the quarterback on the Super Bowl team. You know, I, you get way more credit than you deserve. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it comes with the territory, I guess. But um, at the same time, just always remembering that, you know, all the hands that touched – the masonry and the tile and the wood flooring and the, and the clients that put up, you know, exorbitant (laughs) amounts of money to fund the thing. And and then all the people, all the creative people that also, um, you know, did, did their part. And, uh, it, it sometimes seems a little like, I don't know how to explain all that in a picture on Instagram, but, um, but it's, it's, it's very true. Well, it, it, it's impossible to, to go through all that. And the, the big thank you list, right? You'll be at the Oscars standing there for 18 minutes, right? Talking about it when you have to think. But, but the reality right. is, Jeff, I mean. The music starts playing. Yeah. Like they got to get you off the stage. They're getting you off the stage quickly. But, uh, you know, in reality, Jeff, I mean, I, I honestly could sit here and talk to you all day. You know, I, I had a whole list of things to ask you. And I want to be sensitive to your time. And, I mean, you just, you sparked my interest in so many ways. And you have this amazing way to deliver that. And that's why, just so you know, there are so many that, reached out to me and said, Brad, you need to get Jeff on. Like he's just a rock star. That's great. Oh, and, I appreciate and, it. Yeah. And I, and I look forward to the day we're going to be working together. So for those listening <laughs> though, like, you know, what, what's upcoming and exciting for you? Oh my goodness. Um, man, I'm so excited about, um, a bunch of projects that, that we're doing. Um, ah, golly, I don't really know where to start. Um, one thing that's exciting, um, to me is, um, getting to work, in different places um, that have what I call different building traditions. Um, just for instance, you know, it's it's a very different experience to um, do a building um, on the side of a hill in Costa Rica, and 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 how you build basically kind of almost like in a jungle, um, and then you know fly up to Canada, and we're we're finishing up this little teeny little house on the coast of Nova Scotia and 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 we had to bury the footings you know eight feet deep to get out of the you know to be below the frost line and it's just it's incredible the difference in that conversation um from Canada Costa Rica or another sea place California you know where they really do some crazy stuff uh is just so thrilling and the learning experience um, going through that and how you 
how the game changes. I mean, I'm still trying to accomplish the same things, right? Like I want to create an, an amazing emotional experience, right? Okay, that didn't change. Um, but how you go about it, um, given the environment, you know what I mean? And the context, um, uh, both the, both of those projects are on, you know, large bodies of water, the Atlantic Ocean or the, hell, I don't even know, the, uh, I think the Costa Rican one is on the Pacific. But, uh, you know, those are still two very different environments um, to, to build in. And to me, that has been such a rush and um, and learning to speak different languages of architecture um, that just makes it to I'm, I, I get bored I just get bored so easy like I don't I don't want to do the same thing again I don't I mean I see these people that they've got their you know their thing this is their shtick and it, they're great at it and but they're just gonna do that that's what they do um, and people always say, well, I can always pick one of your houses out, which kind of pisses me off, you know, because <laughs> I'm trying to be different. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I think I'm fooling people, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not. But I'm still getting to speak and work in these different languages of architecture and these different dialects. Um, and, and for me, that is um, that really is exciting and, um, and keeps me, uh, you know, motivated. And I just think, like, you're either evolving or you're not. You know, you're either getting better or you're not like you're either challenging yourself or you're not. And I, I just life's to, life's like you said before, you know, life's too short um, to me to not continue to try to, to grow and um, continue to learn. And, and so that's that's been very exciting for me lately. Well, I think it just that closing advice, right? If you're not evolving, um, you're not. And the reality is, is going back to your farm experience, right? I mean, if you're not evolving, there's there's so much that we have to learn and with, you know, pandemic and other things we have to evolve as a company, as a business and as people. I mean, that's just reality with times that change around us. So for those listening as well, where can uh, our listeners find you, Jeff? Instagram is, is always a good one these days. I, I, I tell people it's like a, a, a tracking device that's been attached to my <laughs> ankle. Everybody's like, Oh, I saw you were here. I saw you were there. <laughs> um, so you can always know where, know where we are. Um, uh, my my handle is Jeffrey Dungan J E F F R E Y D U N G A N on um, on Instagram. That's probably the best way. I don't I don't tweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, not there's anything wrong with that. I, I, that's not that that has, I haven't really gotten into that. Um, I don't really do much on Facebook. Although I think I think when I post something on Instagram, it goes to Facebook because uh, anyway. But yeah, because um, they own each that's, other. That's about the extent uh, the extent of it. Um, you know, you can Google, you can Google us and, and see, um, some of our work on our website and some of the magazines and things we've been in and some of the, there's a map of our work on there too. Some places that we've, that we've been fortunate enough to practice. Um, well, and Jeff, and I'll say also just in closing, I mean, they can go on, on Instagram and they can, there's a link to your book too on Amazon that they could purchase, but Jeff, I just. True. I, I just want to thank you. You've been an amazing guest, shared some very insightful thanks, information Brad. with all of us. So thanks for coming on today. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to you too. You had great questions and um, and, and you didn't ask some of the questions that sometimes people ask and I, that I just hate. Like, what's the what's a trend that you see? You know, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, if they ask me that one more time, I'm going to puke. You know? <laughs> but, so thanks for not asking the bad questions. Well, you got it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care.
So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.